kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode 102. Is, what, is it 102? Sure. 102 of Auntie Nanny. Um, with me this evening is my two fantastic to be paid for producer, Very. How are you this evening? I am fine. Okay. Um, and we're going to bring on Alex Clark, the legislative director from CASA, for our weekly CASA update. We're going to do that first, and Jeannie will be joining us momentarily. Jeannie's not going to talk. <laughs> yes, <laughs> she here. is. Yes, she is. <laughs> and Alex is here, too. Hi, Alex. Okay. How's it going? Good. Welcome to the weekly CASA update for February 2nd, 2015. My name is Jan Johnson, and with me is Alex Clark, CASA's Legislative Director. How are you this evening, Alex? Hello? Good. Uh, I hope my connection holds up. Um. Oh, yeah. You're, you're still in storm of the century land. I, I feel so bad. Um, so it's been an interesting kind of week. More uh, more legislative stuff cropped up. Um, in fact, some small, like little tiny calls to action. It seems like I saw today. Um, there was some local stuff that popped up. Um, yeah, the the week kind of ended on a busy note. Um, we had uh, kind of a situation in North Dakota sort mm. of blow up on us. Um, yeah. What was what started out as um, I think just a, a housekeeping bill uh, to update some of the tax code uh, turned into a, a, a philosophical discussion about um, whether or not electronic cigarettes were going to be included in the state's definition of other tobacco products or something to that effect. Um, so there are there are three bills now that are being heard starting tomorrow um, that uh, we, we've issued a call. We've issued a call to action for two of them um, okay. because the, the way that the bills are written, um, mm-hmm. it could 
subject electronic cigarettes to the state's 45% uh, oh. wholesale tax. Actually, it's there's one in the House and one in the Senate, and one of <laughs> one of them raises it uh, to 43.5%, and the other right. raises it to 50%. Nice. You know, uh, I, what I what you've got to love about government is as it gets bigger, they don't speak to each other. They just run off and do these things. They don't even try to harmonize their efforts. Um, yeah, I think the problem with including them in other tobacco products is and I didn't know this until recently there. We talk about the master settlement agreement, but I think most people don't know there was an other tobacco products master settlement agreement, which was mostly, it mostly involved oral tobacco. And I know Oregon mentioned that, you know, quite mm-hmm. prominently in one of their bills. And that was how I found out about it. You know, I'm pretty well versed in this stuff and I didn't even know that existed. So it's, uh, it's interesting. The states are uh, not really happy with people who leave Leviathan and take their tax money with them. They want their tax money back, <laughs> I guess, is what this all yep. kind of boils down to. Um, so have you noticed anything really interesting going on besides the uh, going on in the vaping world <laughs> besides the horrible, horrible California warning? Um, well, things are, I think, starting to move on California. Uh, I, I, were, I, I actually just started looking at SB 140 last night because uh-huh. I think um, I had seen some posts uh, on Instagram that I, I think kind of misinterpreted what the bill will do. I, I'm not entirely certain. So I was actually looking into it for my own clarification. Um, but I mean, it doesn't make it really any worse or any less worse. Um, but, uh, so that's just, it, it really sounds like California folks are, are starting to, to perk up and pay attention to that. Um, we're not, uh, ready to do anything just yet. Um, I think we're, we're waiting, I don't know, we're waiting for more pieces to fall into place. Um, but, uh, I think coming up for us, we're looking at Washington, um, New Hampshire, mm-hmm. and I think Ohio, um, possibly Utah, I'm not sure. Um, but, uh, well, and then there was today uh, in Virginia, this was a very last minute thing. Right. Um, I, I had this on my list and just happened to check and see where the bill was. And there was, mm-hmm. there was a committee hearing today uh, that was, actually, I can't, my internet is so crabby right now. I can't fire anything up, but I, I feel like I'm going to butcher the house bill. Uh, it was HB 2036 or something like that. Um, and it was a, a packaging and labeling bill. Um, and it sounds like I don't have an official update yet, but um, I think it might've been amended uh, to possibly remove the labeling portion um, and then essentially it, it, the idea is that it uh, authorizes the Board of Agriculture to come up with a rule for child-resistant packaging for e-liquid containers. The, the um, Department of Agriculture. Uh, the Board of Agriculture. Okay. 
which is okay. an unelected board. Um, it, there is, I think, some opportunity for public comment whenever they do, if they do, if it gets to that point. Um, right. But uh, um, so we, we issued a call to action for that. And it's I, I kind of want to take the opportunity to, I guess, restate our position on these things. Um, you know, we are generally supportive of child resistant packaging. Um, but, you know, as it stands right now, uh, in lieu of any federal regulation that comes out, I, we would, I think, feel best if, if manufacturers would take that responsibility and start, right. you know, and be producing their, their products with the, the appropriate packaging. Um, having having states determine that, uh, you know, creates a, a patchwork of regulations that could right. limit yeah. our access to these products. You know all this stuff. I just want to I restate do. it <laughs> just, for, well, just no. to officially get it out there because there <laughs> oh, seems no, to I be agree. some debate. I mean, I, you know, we, we had some discussion on our on our on our Instagram. Um, uh-huh. You know, someone said people are generally themselves supportive of child resistant packaging. A state right. comes up and says, well, you know, we want child proof caps. Everybody says, "Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Why? Why right. would anybody oppose that?" Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's not it's not the subject matter that we're opposed to. It's, it's where the regulation is coming from, uh, and the same thing goes for labeling requirements. Um, that you know, when when states start getting into you know the the size of the label, the, the font that's going to be used, <laughs> and the background colors, you know yeah. that that that's specific to them. And now manufacturers are 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 forced to sell a specific design to that one state and, and it, you know, just mm-hmm. multiply that by 49 more and, and you've got a tremendous burden, uh, potentially limiting our, our access to the variety of products. So. Right. No, and, and, and I agree with you. And I was going to say about the patchwork, I, a patchwork is kind of dangerous. It would be nice and I know I've said this before, to sort of have a unified standard. Um, and obviously the states feel like the FDA is not moving fast enough for them. I feel like the FDA has moved plenty fast enough for me. But the states, I keep reading it in these newspaper articles. They keep saying, well, the state, you know, the FDA isn't doing anything. Yeah, they are. They're actually doing their job correctly. They're not having a knee-jerk reaction, allegedly, like what they're doing. You know, and it seems like the the child resistant packaging has come up so much mm. more since the New York story. Um, and I know you know what I'm talking about. So, are you still there, hon? I'm st- I'm still here. I, I'm, okay, you're, you're coming at me. You're coming at me in bits and pieces. So I'm trying. I'm to sorry. <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. Um, So, is there anything else that you'd like to tell Vapors about to be ready Um, for? Well, just to bring up, I get just to get back to the local alerts. um, You you had brought that up. I guess Boulder, Colorado is is looking at uh, a public use ban, um, which is sort of incorporating electronic cigarettes into their existing smoke-free air law. Um, so uh, that is on its, is its second or third read. And then, and that's happening tomorrow night at 5.30 
Tuesday, um, February 3rd. And, um, uh, and then I guess it would be placed on the consent agenda for February 17th, if I remember that correctly. Yes. Um, so, um, I think the, the vaping militia has put out a call to action for that. If you are in the Boulder, Colorado area, I guess if you're in the state of Colorado, um, yeah. go ahead and send the emails to that city council. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good idea. Um, yeah. So we're really busy. We're working on the website. No one cares about that. And getting things lined up in a row. And you're super busy. <laughs> How are you sleeping? <laughs> I, I actually, I took a, a, a little, I, I bought this coffee that has valerian in it. So I, I had a cup of that last night to put me to sleep. Oh, valerian is just... <laughs> Oh my God, that is the nastiest stuff in the world. It, it is. It's horrific and it's terrible. But if you have a dog, it's like catnip to them. They love it. They'll run around. They'll chew the plant raw. They just love it to death. It, it's some of the most disgusting stuff on earth. Does the coffee mask the taste of the valerian in any way, shape, or form? Kind of. It wasn't kind horrible of. and I got to sleep. So That's um. good. <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I, I am, I am longing for the day. I mean, we're only, it's just now February. I am, I am longing for the day that I can just kind of come home and plop down on the couch and maybe binge watch something on Netflix. Yeah. Um, this is, this has been really, really, really hectic. Yeah. Uh, I remember someone saying to you, you think you've got time, but you haven't got time. Yeah. And they were right. <laughs> I'm so I'm sorry. Actually, I, I'm I'm a little concerned. I I am going away this coming weekend, so I, I'm I'm actually flying out to California for a work related right. trip. Um, but I will be headed down to Los Angeles. There's um, I think Safada is putting the SoCal Safada is putting together uh, a rally um, at a vape shop. I believe it's called Lucky Deuces, um, right. and uh, that's for Sunday. So it's kind of a organizational get together, um, get to know your neighbor kind of thing. Um, and, uh, I I don't know if I'll be speaking there or whatnot, but, uh, I will be participating in that on Sunday. Excellent. So if you're in the area, you could, it's kind of scary when it, when any, any of us, Well, if you're in the area, you could come on down and, and say hello to Alex and participate in a worthy cause. Um, thank you, Alex, for everything you're doing. Um, it's much appreciated. And um, just as a final note to anyone out there, well, if you... I, yeah. um, as a final note from me to anyone out there, if, if you notice a story or you have any questions, you can always email board at org. I think that email address is correct. And either Julie Westner, Alex, or I will answer you. Um, thank you for coming on tonight, Alex. Um, stay warm. Stay safe. Take care of yourself and get some sleep. Thanks. Thank you. See ya. See ya.
Okay. Hi, Miss Jeannie. How are you this evening? Hi, Jan. How are you? We got another oh, six inches of snow last night. Oh, it sounds. It sounds like I'm glad I live in the south. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 So. It's been another interesting news week, and I saw something today that I didn't have in the show notes, but I thought I should bring it up. Uh, Starting in 2016, the TSA will now require that anyone who flies have a government-issued real ID. Fuck TSA. Let me finish. (laughs) Um which should be interesting, seeing as there's five states that have made participating in the Real ID Act illegal. So I just thought I would mention that before I got started on anything else this evening. So, do what do we want to talk about first? The World Health Organization, the One True Ring. <laughs> does anybody does anybody have a preference? Because. One of us is going to be swearing with one, and one of us is going to be swearing with the other. So, <laughs> um, okay, that's it. Okay, Texas boy suspended for saying he could make classmate disappear with the Lord of the Rings sorcery. The ring little Aiden bought in school may not have been the true ring of power, but it had enough controversy to get him suspended from a Kermit Texas school. This is the third and strangest suspension for Aiden Stewart, nine, uh, at the Texas School District. Token lore led a Texas boy to suspension after he bought his, quote, one ring to school. Kermit Elementary School officials called it a threat, a terrorist threat, when the nine-year-old boy, Aiden Stewart, in a playful act of make-believe, told the classmate he could make him disappear with a ring forged in the fictional Middle Earth's Mount Doom. It sounded unbelievable, the boy's father, Jason Stewart, told the Daily News. He insists his son didn't mean anything by it. The Stewarts had just watched The Hobbit, the Battle of Five Armies, days earlier, inspiring Aiden's imagination and leading him to proclaim that he had in his possession the one ring to rule them all. Kids act out movies they see. When I watched Superman as a kid, I went outside and tried to fly, Stewart said. Um, Aiden claimed Thursday he could put a ring on his friend's hand and make him invisible like Bilbo Baggins, who stole Gollum's precious in J.R.R. Tolkien's fantasy series, The Lord of the Rings. Quote, I assure you, my son lacks the magical powers necessary to threaten his friend's existence, the boy's father wrote in an email. If he did, I'm sure he'd bring him right back. Principal Roxanne Greer declined to comment on the fourth grader suspension, citing confidentiality policies, according to the Odessa American, who first reported Aiden's troubles Friday. The family moved to the Kermit Independent School District only six months ago, but it's been nothing but headaches for Aiden. He's already been suspended three times this year in school. Two of the disciplinary actions were in-school suspensions for referring to a classmate as black and bringing his favorite book to school, The Big Book of Knowledge. He loves that book. They were studying the solar system, and he took it to school. He thought his teacher would be impressed, Stewart said. But the teacher learned the popular children's encyclopedia had a section on pregnancy, depicting a pregnant woman in an illustration, he explained. Okay, Jeannie, go for it. It's fucking pretend. 
what what child? I just I, I'm absolutely dumbfounded and shocked that a school is now punishing a child for having an imagination. Without imaginations, computers wouldn't fucking exist, you morons. He's a little kid. Yeah. He's nine. He didn't take a knife to school. He didn't take a baseball bat to school. He didn't punch the kid in the fucking face. (laughs) No, he didn't. It's... I... I don't even know where to begin, but you and I talked a little bit about the Department of Education last night and some of the people who fund it. And I have come to a theory about whenever rich people fund something, whether it be the United Nations, um, the Department of Education, uh, any sort of program, they're not going to put money into something that doesn't benefit them. Um, and it doesn't matter what program it is, but people's interference in the education of children has led us to the state where we are now. Where you've us to the non-education of children. Where, yeah, you've got people like my niece who cannot spell the word Englewood, E-N-G-L-E-W-O-O-D, and she's 21 years old. She finally graduated from high school. Did I tell you that? Yeah. Yeah. Finally, this year. It took her an extra three years to get out of high school. This is the kind of education that we're getting from government and non-governmental interference in how teachers need to do their jobs. And you can't tell me that teachers don't know that little kids need to run and play and use their imagination. Because they do. I mean, I've got a comment on this story. Okay. I can't help myself. The sarcasm is building. (laughs) Yeah, the name of the school, I know what the problem is. It's because (laughs) it's run by Muppets. (laughs) (laughs) It's kidding, yeah. Uh, You know, Dan, we had a doctor here. Mm -hmm. uh, And Dr. Dr. Hong, that was his name, Dr. Hong. Um, And... His little boy, Sam, thank God they lives in a ranch-style home, because his little boy, Sam, very American name for a little boy named Hong, um, Sam was a cute little boy, he really was, uh, lived up the road here. They watched Mary Poppins at school. Oh, my God. They watched Mary Poppins at school. Well, little Sam, little Sam, who was not familiar with having a television um, proceeded to climb the rose trellis and jump off the roof of their house with his umbrella. <laughs> Broke his leg. There was no lawsuit involved. Imagine if that had happened today. If that had happened today, the world would have been up in arms. There would be a zero tolerance policy. Unless, of course, you were going to arm children with canned vegetables... To fight off an armed intruder. That is perfectly fine. I read these stories and I'm like, I, you know, I, I'm so glad my husband and I don't have children. What the hell kind of world 
is this? Kids can't use their imagination. They can't be children. You know, I'm just, I'm kind of disgusted by it. And I think people who homeschool like you do, um, they're pioneers. They're, they're, I mentioned earlier something called Leaving Leviathan. Leviathan is another name for the bloated regulatory state of the federal government. So, bravo. Thank you. Okay. Poor little kid. You should see this kid. Isn't he the cutest little thing you've ever seen? Uh-huh. He's, He's adorable. adorable. <laughs> Cute little blonde-haired kid just sitting. Oh, it's just hard to believe. You know, he doesn't oh. look like Marilyn Manson. He doesn't look like <laughs> Manson. He doesn't look like Jeffrey Dahmer. And he doesn't look like Timothy McVeigh. Doesn't look like Gollum either. No. <laughs> Not really. No. No, he doesn't. And now on to the wonderful World Health Organization. World Health Organization's advice is based on weak evidence, Canadian-led study said. uh, Says, no shit says very boring. (laughs) (laughs) In the confusing and fast-changing world of medicine... Few voices carry as much weight as that of the World Health Organization. But a new Canadian-led analysis takes a poke at that reputation, concluding the UN agency often makes strong recommendations on how to treat or prevent illness based on weak evidence, potentially leading to patients getting less than optimum care. Ebola, anyone? The study concluded that 73 of the 289 strong recommendations the agency issued over a recent five-year stretch on topics ranging from maternal health to tuberculosis were based on low-quality evidence and warranted only conditional advice. Historically, WHO recommendations have been extremely untrustworthy and not evidence-based, said Dr. Gordon Guyatt, the study's lead author. Things have gotten better, but there's still a ways to go. If the truth is that an intervention is ineffective or minimally effective, patients and health workers would want to know this. An official with the agency, however, says the problems are minor and that people have no reason to distrust its advice. Bullshit. But Dr. Guyatt and other critics suggest that the issue extends beyond the Geneva-based WHO. Many other health organizations are likely still issuing advice based on flimsy science. The product of an unstructured process, humorously dubbed gobsat, good old boys sitting around the table, he said. Experts on guideline writing panels are often influenced by conflicts of interest, Stanton Glantz. Whether a bias towards their own prior research or financial ties to pharmaceutical companies, oh, Simon Chapman, and until recently, at least, the World Health Organization was no exception, said Dr. Guyot, an epidemiology professor at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario. They would sit around and do whatever they wanted to do and direct the world and be very pleased they directed the world. The goal is to move such panels towards more, quote, evidence-based medicine, a phrase Dr. Guyot coined and a ubiquitous buzzword in modern healthcare. It involves putting more weight on better quality science, with randomized controlled trials being the pinnacle of evidence. Susan Norris, a World Health Organization official who helps oversee the writing of expert guidelines and commissions 
uh, and commissioned the Canadian-led research, said it has identified area where the process can be improved and changes are being implemented. But she objected to Dr. Guyatt's description of some of the recommendations as, quote, inappropriate, saying the agency remains trustworthy. Bullshit. Incorrect advice, exactly, is not being communicated, said Dr. Norris. World Health Organization's process is to state-of-the-art in terms of how we develop guidelines. Bullshit. There's always room for improvement. Yeah, right. But the World Health Organization has made tremendous improvements as the science has evolved. Bullshit. The agency's guidelines panels have also, also have daunting tasks, she added, trying to make research findings relevant for frontline health workers and patients in a host of disparate communities around the world. You know what that translates to, right? Uh, science by activism? Uh, cherry picking to suit our needs? Mm, it does. Um, okay, health organizations began producing the guidelines about 30 years ago. The World Health Organization regularly convenes leading international experts to hash out advice, which is especially important in poor and middle-income countries. Oh, come on. With less developed medical systems, said Dr. Gayat. Big paid-for meals. Mm. Oh, yes. Caviar. After concerns were raised seven years ago, the agency implemented a system called GRADE for rating and publicly disclosing the quality of evidence behind the advice it issued. GRADE also permits strong recommendations with weak evidence in certain circumstances, such as when the proposed treatment could be life-saving and the side effect is minimal. The new study found that of 289 strong recommendations in 33 guidelines issued between 2007 and 2012, 73 were not only based on weak evidence, but could not be justified under any exceptions the system allowed. One such recommendation, for instance, strongly advised using uterine massage to treat postpartum hemorrhage, heavy bleeding after giving birth. Because the advice is backed up by low-quality evidence and could delay more effective treatment, it should have just been a conditional recommendation, the study concluded. The guidelines, issued by some medical specialty groups, have come under similar scrutiny and even harsher criticism in recent years. A 2013 British Medical Journal article said the documents can play a valuable role, but that widespread financial conflicts of interest, hint, hint, among authors and sponsors of the guidelines have turned many into, quote, marketing tools of industry. Biased guidelines can cause grave harms to patients while creating a dilemma for doctors who may face professional or legal consequences when they choose not to follow guidelines they distrust, said the article. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. and yeah. I wonder. I wonder with the WHO if it is anything like, and I say this sarcastically because I know it does. <laughs> if it comes back to things like situations with the FDA, take our food pyramid in this country, for example, Jan. Have you, you and seen I both it lately? Know, you and I both know that that food pyramid changes depending on which area of the agricultural industry, the government is going to subsidize the next year. I don't know. Have you seen the new one? It's They've got all the food sort of laid out at the bottom of this rainbow-colored pyramid, and, and it doesn't really show you portions or anything. It's so screwed up. I'm like, well, that's about right. That That's about the kind of guidelines the government issues. Screwed up and wrong. So this perfectly illustrates that, and we should go with it. We should run with it. 
they do what they want to do. Good old boys sitting around a table. That's perfect. That is a perfect description for all the people that are issuing guidelines from up on high, from their ivory tower to us ordinary smelly people. In fact, speaking of ordinary smelly people, very please tell people what happened today. Ah, right. The breaking news we got. Yeah. The the British Parliament has a proposal, uh, waiting for the Speaker to okay it, saying that MPs will be allowed to use vapour products in Parliament. Not everywhere, just in their offices and a couple of the public spaces. But, so but while they're trying to stop <laughs> us using them, uh, <laughs> but they'll be allowed to. Of course. And they lobbied for it, and they got it. And that is because they are not ordinary, smelly people on the bottom, like ourselves. Vaping's been banned in the public areas. So, yeah. (laughs) Just amazing. The hypocrisy. They're actually doing it openly now. Yeah. (laughs) It's not just there. Over here, lots of people are going to be writing to their MPs, asking questions about it. Mm. They should. They should. That is terrifying. That should not be happening. But it is. So, you know, bravo to the MPs in Parliament. Yay, you regained your ability to vape. Hopefully, you have a little fucking sympathy for ordinary smelly people who aren't allowed to vape anywhere. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Sorry. Yeah, I've got I'm gonna... something else to say about the WHO story. You know, the good old boys sitting around the table. I when mean, it comes to the e-cig one, mm-hmm. I, they must have had really heavily reinforced chairs <laughs> to have the mechanic in there around that table. I, I think he just gets a crane to hoist his ass out of bed. Yeah. He, he's a big boy. He is a big boy, and he's expanding every year. Well, I did say that inside the mechanic, there's a thinner guy trying to get out. Uh, But that's because he ate him? It's Nanny McPhee, (laughs) but he keeps crawling back in. (laughs) I just, sometimes I don't know what to say to this stuff, but (laughs) yeah. Uh. Okay. Skin implanted microchips open doors at Swedish office complex. It's the cyberpunk dystopia we were promised. To hear biohacker Hans, oh good lord. Hans Schoblad. Schoblad, talk about it. Getting a radio frequency identification chip installed under your skin is like getting an inoculation against obsolescence. As seen in a short video from the BBC, Workers in a Swedish office complex called Epicenter get around using the small chips embedded within their hands. The trade-off is very direct. Ease of use at the expense of personal information. Why would employees agree to microchipping? Showblad, Epicenter's chief disruption officer, and a member of the Swedish biohacking group, BioKnife Viking, Knifeken, sees microchipping as invaluable. He wants biohackers to figure out the implications and the understandings of the technology before big companies or governments decide it's a good idea to require chips in people. 
At Epicenter, these chips literally provide access. Doors open at the wave of a microchipped hand, and instead of fumbling for a card to activate the office printer, people instead press their hands against a chip reader. In turn, the door and the printer recognize which person uses them, creating a digital log of behaviors once too mundane to record. Of course, it's the placement of the RFID tag under the skin that makes this strange. People add mundane tracking devices to their lives all the time, from fitness trackers to smartphones. Phones are imperfect identification devices, but the information they contain is a personal and revealing enough that last summer a circuit court ruled that police need a warrant to access it. Currently, microchipping at Epicenter is optional. For those who choose to get the chip and opt in to a cyberpunk dystopia future, a professional tattooist inserts the device. Perfect. <laughs> I, do you, you do realize I'm reading this stuff now and I'm going, you know, 10 years ago, someone said that and we said, you're out of your fucking mind. Yeah, it was Philip, even Philip K. Years Dick that, is looking more relevant every year. He really is. <laughs> and you know, what's funny, Jan, is my husband is constantly, you know, I try to get a hold of you. I right. said, well, I ran to the store. And he's like, well, I called your cell phone. And I said, yeah, it was at the house. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you know, I, I don't, I really like my smartphone. I don't need it stuffed up my ass. <laughs> it amazes me how dependent people are we went um where do we go oh when we went to get the chickens we stopped to have dinner somewhere and um and paul and i were talking and paul's phone went off and he scrolled through his phone and he and he put it down and i said look look around look around i promise you 80 percent of the people that were there in groups all had their faces stuck in a phone they were probably all texting each other too yeah, I was going to say, yeah, the, the latest thing is people sitting next to each other, texting, texting each other. Each other. Well, I won't say a whole lot because I did send Bertie a text downstairs to bring me up this wonderful glass of water. At least that's a different room. <laughs> yeah, it's a different room. I have actually in the seen house. people sitting next to each other, texting each other. Texting each other. Me too. Yeah. I have. I, I like my semi stupid, because I've got a semi stupid smartphone. It, it's smart, but I'm not going to really upgrade and get a super nice one because what can be done with the model I have is pretty limited. What information leaks is very limited. Um, I chose the phone I have specifically because of that. Although I needed to be able to access my emails and to make sure I could get phone calls because, you know, Kasaw gets them. Um, at any time, I still, I still like the last vestigial remnants of my privacy. And reading stuff like this makes me think I might be the only one who thinks that way. Well, I've got a smartphone. I've got a Galaxy S2, but it's running a custom ROM. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my husband is a big light person. He likes a lot of light. Okay? Mm -hmm. And and this is not a new shiny, I promise. So, we have I have a 8-foot picture window in my living room 
and I have a six foot picture window in in the sitting room, and they're kind of adjoined. But anyway, so Paul is constantly without these windows open. You know, he's got the blinds drawn back, or the not the blinds, the curtains, and whatever. Right. And right. as soon as it gets dark out, I go through and I close all them curtains. He's like, "Why do you keep closing all them damn curtains? I just have to open them up in the morning." I said, "Because I don't want every neighbor driving down the street." Staring at my fucking house. Yep. This is like, I said, the privacy of my own home, Paul. Understand those words. Yeah. So I'm I'm the same way. Um, everybody doesn't have to know everything about what's going on in my life. And I bitch at people about that all the time, Jen. You know, I have this constant ongoing battle with my niece and, and one of my daughters. You know, stop putting every fucking thing you do on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Somebody could steal you, and nobody would know you were missing until your body was dissolved in a vat of lie. All they'd have you know, to do is update your Facebook. You know, it, as disturbing as the thought of that is, and it, it, it is disturbing, everything you do online creates a trail, creates a pattern, sort of... an invisible umbilical cord between you and the government... Maybe if people think of all the information they put out there using their smartphones and their because microchipped credit cards, things like that, maybe they would think twice or three times about letting a company microchip you. And I say that I want you to understand I'm not coming at this from the viewpoint of a religious fanatic. I'm a Buddhist. I sit down and I chant and I burn incense and I use finger symbols and I meditate. Okay. I'm not a fanatic in any way, shape or form, but there is a certain danger to losing the self in the collective. And I think that's the one thing I don't like about not having privacy anymore. Um, something good, something bad, something funny, something funny. Okay. Representative Jared Poles calls for 24 hour surveillance on Senator Marco Rubio. Representative Jared Paulus has a bit of a history of making hilarious but incredibly on-point, sarcastic, and satirical suggestions in response to government officials saying something stupid. Last year, he asked the Treasury Department to ban dollar bills after Senator Joe Minchin asked the Treasury Department to ban Bitcoin. Paulus, of course, took the same arguments that Minchin used against Bitcoin and highlighted how dollar bills had the same characteristics. His latest move is in response to Senator Marco Rubio's ridiculous and clueless call for greater levels of mass surveillance of Americans. Rubio calls for new laws to force tech companies to help the government spy on everyone and also a permanent extension of the controversial Section 215 of the Patriot Act, the part of the law that was twisted by the DOJ and the NSA to pretend it means they can demand every phone record on every American because they might be able to sniff through it all and find something interesting. In response, Paulist has asked the U.S. intelligence community to begin 24-hour monitoring of Senator Rubio. 
If Senator Rubio believes that millions of innocent Americans should be subject to intrusive and unconstitutional government surveillance, surely he would have no objections to the government monitoring his own actions and conversations, said Representative Paulus. Senator Rubio is asking for American technology companies to cooperate with authorities, so I believe he will have no objection to authorities being given access to his electronic correspondence and metadata. Maybe after his 2016 strategy documents are accidentally caught up in a government data grab, he'll rethink the use of mass surveillance. Rubio's op-ed called for a permanent extension of the counterterrorism tool our intelligence community relies on and said that tactics were legal and painstakingly established. This is in stark contrast with the conclusions of the Privacy and Civil Liberties Oversight Board which found the data collection practices to be illegal, saying the Patriot Act does not provide an adequate basis to support the program. This new focus on Senator Rubio shouldn't require any additional legislation, as senators have already been included in intelligence agency monitoring. Nicely done. While he's at it, Paulus might want to ask Rubio to release all of his own metadata publicly anyway. After all, if there's no big deal in snooping through metadata... Rubio shouldn't have any shame revealing everyone he calls or who calls him, everyone he emails, and every website he visits, right? I thought that was hysterical. Yeah, brilliant. We'd get to see what porn Rubio looks like. (laughs) I don't want to see... I've I've met the man, I've spoken with the man, I I just... The one thing I got from speaking to him is he is not who people believe he is. And I got that before, you know, oh, let's start mass surveillance of Americans. Okay, Jeannie, which one next do you pick? Do the nukes. <laughs> oh, do the nukes. Okay. Argentinian Los Alamos scientists recorded promising to build 40 nukes for Venezuela. A disgruntled former Los Alamos National Laboratory scientist promised to build 40 nuclear weapons for Venezuela in 10 years and design a bomb targeted for New York in exchange for money and power, according to secret FBI recordings released Wednesday. In the recordings, oh boy. Pedro Leonardo. Pedro Leonardo something. Mescheroni. Tells an agent posing as a Venezuelan official that the bombs would prevent the United States from invading the oil-rich nation and brags to his wife the passing of secrets would make him wealthy. I'm going to be the boss with money and power, the naturalized U.S. citizen from Argentina is heard saying, I'm not an American anymore, this is it. Mascheroni said his New York bomb wouldn't kill anyone, but would disable the city's electrical system and help Venezuela become a nuclear superpower. It was not known how realistic his New York bombing idea was. But he suggested that once Venezuela obtained a bomb, the country should explode it to let the world know what we got, according to recordings. The recordings were played Wednesday in U.S. District Court in Albuquerque before a federal judge sentenced Masseroni, 79, to five years in prison, followed by three years of supervised release as part of a plea agreement. Masseroni and his wife, Madri Roxy, Rox, Roxby Masseroni, pleaded guilty in 2013 to offering to help develop a nuclear weapon for Venezuela through dealings with an undercover FBI agent posing as a representative of the South American country. His wife received a year and a day in prison for conspiring with her husband to sell nuclear secrets. 
The U.S. government did not allege Venezuela sought nuclear secrets. Despite the evidence and the plea agreement, federal prosecutor Fred Fred something said Pedro Mascheroni refused to admit he did anything wrong and has tried to argue that he was the victim of the federal government trying to trap him after his being critical of U.S. nuclear policy. He was no true hero, Fergici said. He was simply a man who betrayed his country. Speaking to a judge, Mascheroni was defiant and said that if his case had gone to trial, a federal jury would have acquitted him. He said the information he passed on to the agent was already available online or was simply made up. I was basically selling used cars, Mascheroni said during a long tirade in federal court that had to be interrupted by U.S. District Judge William P. Johnson. What I was selling was complete science fiction. Before his indictment, Mascheroni was under investigation for about a year. The FBI had seized computers, letters, photographs, books, cell phones, etc. from the Kumpel's Los Alamos home. In an interview with the Associated Press, Mascheroni said he believed the U.S. government was wrongly targeting him as a spy and denied the accusations. The scientist said he approached Venezuela after the United States rejected his theories that a hydrogen fluoride laser could produce nuclear energy. Mascheroni worked in the Nuclear Weapons Design Division at the Los Alamos Lab from 1979 until he was laid off in 1988. His wife, a technical director, worked there between 1981 and 2010. He told the AP that he was motivated by his belief in a cleaner, less expensive, and more reliable nuclear weapons in power. He began approaching other countries after his ideas were rejected by the lab and later congressional staffers. I just don't even know what to say to that one. I think he could have got off on a plea of insanity. (laughs) He's obviously uh, not quite all there. Uh, Well, I'll I'll address some of the specifics. Hydrogen fluoride lasers. Yeah, hydrogen fluoride lasers, incredibly unstable, don't work properly. That's all I'm saying. And he thinks they can be used to produce energy. That's. That's one of these cold fusion um, plans that doesn't work. Um, (laughs) It's almost as if I've read the Los Alamos website or something. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, they they do have their nutters down there. Uh, Yeah, I guess there's a thin line between being a really smart guy and a really psychotic guy. Yeah, it's a very, very, very thin line. (laughs) Must be razor thin. And Jeannie's right. He he does need to be locked away in a cell, in a mental institution where he can be helped. Because I, I, do, I, I, I don't... I do love the, oh, they're trying to frame me. And I was just <laughs> selling stuff you could you could get the information for online. It's like, no, you offered to build them, you nut. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's a completely different story at that yeah. point. So, yeah, I just thought that one was really interesting when I read it. Thorazine. Mm, (laughs) Please, Thorazine. Okay, good news, good news, or mm, this one. Obama's about to ask for the largest Pentagon budget in history. On Tuesday, news broke that the president is planning to request the largest Pentagon budget in history. You read that right. President Obama will likely ask for a 534 billion base budget 
in a move that's being sold as part of a strategy to beef up responsiveness to emerging worldwide threats and fund efforts against ISIS and others. How about you this- stop using a fucking military then, you jackass? Okay, sorry. I like her. This plan will blow past budget caps to the tune of $34 billion in 2016 and $150 billion over the next five years. Many in the new Congress, it's sad to say, are eager to both hike overseas spending and ignore budget controls, with some Republican leaders saying they'll do anything they can to fix sequestration. <sighs> the argument that the money and fast is what's needed to keep us safe is dishonest at best. For one, when it comes to wars, the money's already there. It's in the Overseas Contingency Operations budget. That money is immune to budget caps and is often used as a slush fund to spend beyond them. OCO got an additional $64 billion in the latest C-Romnibus budget deal, and now President Obama is set to request about $60 billion more. It's hard to imagine that the fund has dried up or that it needs the extra billions the president wants. Meanwhile, the suggestion that even more base funds are needed to keep us safe is dubious and should be questioned. The assumption misses a key part of keeping America truly safe. Reforms, streamlining, and a real modernization strategy. Simply piling on more money allows the Pentagon bureaucracy to avoid any tough choices. As retired Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer said in 2013, we need an effective defense, not an expensive defense. There are tons of cuts we can still make. He's right. Any honest assessment of the Pentagon reveals it, like any other government agency, is absolutely loaded with waste, fraud, and abuse. Whether we're talking about over $1 trillion for a jet that barely works or hundreds of millions in excess military grades equipment, controversially gifted to local police forces, it's clear that there's no reason to treat this particular bureaucracy with kid gloves. That's exactly what the president and likely many Republicans in Congress want to continue doing, though. Few would argue against giving our military the funding it needs. Not many would say the sequester is anything close to perfect. It's obvious that arbitrary and tiny discretionary spending cuts will never solve our long-term budget shortfalls. But when both parties run screaming from the mere suggestion of spending reform while dishonestly pretending our national security depends, continuing to pile money into a bloated bureaucracy with almost no oversight, fiscal responsibility becomes nothing more than a campaign slogan. When you hear politicians invariably use such rhetoric in 2016, remember that very few, if any, really mean it. Yeah. And here's the thing. They buy all this shit, and they're gifting it out to all these police departments and stuff so that they can say, well, we need to buy more. You know, that's outdated. Mm-hmm. Well, all I have to say about that is this. There are Jeep Willys still being sold. Okay? Mm-hmm. In the range of $20,000. This is a vehicle that was made for the military. And used during several wars. And lots of them are still on the road. They might have rode like shit. The heaters might not have been exceptional. But you know what? They were built to fucking last. 
Look at Jam. We did that story a couple of weeks ago about about the guns. Instead of having them fixed in the field, yep. they're gonna haul in all the guns. All they need is a new firing pin put in them. And if you're out there using a semi-automatic and an automatic weapon, and you don't know how to change the firing pin in it, you need to not fucking have it. <laughs> oh, you're absolutely right. But I mean, I- they just they they. Oh my god. The one the one that annoys me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the British military do this as well, is basic equipment, right? Right. Places like the US military, they will spend $200 on a magnesium chrome spanner that they could probably get in a DIY store for $5. It's the same damn spanner, but because it's got to come from... Uh, uh, a firm that has passed a security check, suddenly right. the price jumps up. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, it It's ridiculous. The things that they do are ridiculous. Oh, and the other thing I was going to say, if anybody hasn't seen it, go watch the film The Pentagon Wars. Well, it, and it I explains mean, military research brilliantly. Okay. And it's a true story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dramatized, but a true story. It's about the development of the Bradley. Okay. Until the F-35, one of the biggest fuck-ups in military spending there's ever been. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I notice the article is referring to the F-35 project. Yeah, Yeah. well, that that was a massive debacle. It still and, is. <laughs> well, I mean, I know it still is, and I can't believe we still pour money into it. That That's the part that kind of kills hey, me. Hey, my country's not going to have airplanes for its aircraft carrier. <laughs> We're going to have the air, nuclear aircraft carrier built before there's any planes to go anywhere near it. <laughs> that totally makes sense. That that Are they taking lessons from the Pentagon? I think no, so, they yeah. want to get They want to get the boat good and broke in. That's what it is. They they want to get people on it and, and have it have that lived in feel before the airplanes get to their new home. Apparently, I promise so, you yeah. that some dumbass has said that. <laughs> well, yeah, if they're involved in government, nine times out of ten, they've said something really stupid. Oh, and there by the way, that that carrier is the most expensive uh, project the British government's ever paid for. Because <laughs> we we're getting two of them. But one of them is not going to be commissioned. It's just going to be sat somewhere as a spare. Oh, so what? you have the the air and the spare? Well, they signed the contracts, and then they realized they didn't actually need two aircraft carriers. <laughs> but, of course, there's a huge default um, payment if they cancelled one of them. So instead, both are being built, but one's not going to have equipment put on it. The shell is basically going to sit somewhere in storage. And the dumbass that signed that check still has a job. Yep. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course. Of course. I wonder if um, they went to the legal department and went, um, hey, who was <laughs> that read over this contract? You? Oh, yeah. You're fucking fired. Yeah. That it's, will never it's happen. Insane. Yeah. <laughs> that will never happen. You know, the when government- Alex was. Yeah, when Alex was talking earlier and he's talking about these boards that um, are writing these policies and stuff, I, you know, and here's the thing that I don't think most people understand. 
is that whole shadow government that you have been talking and talking and talking about, Jan. There are so many boards and groups like this that are writing the fucking policy that's being written into law that are completely and totally unaccountable to the public. Well, that's, it, that's ridiculous. It, I think I've, that it, I've for, hated bureaucrats for years. See and anyone you People don't, yeah. anyone you don't directly vote for, you have no. They shouldn't have a say in making laws for you. Right, but that's not how it works. I mean, the government formed a partnership with big business. This is what you get now. This is what fascism looks like. And that's what this is. From little boys not being able to use their imagination to paying for shit we don't need. That, that is what you get. Whatever the government gives you, you get more of. They declare a war on poverty, you get more poverty. And that is just the way it works here. I don't think it works very different anywhere else, no matter what system no. of government um, you've got. The... There's a fantastic old TV show that was done in the UK. Well, mm-hmm. it was actually two shows. It started out as um, Yes uh, Minister, and then it became Yes Prime Minister. And yeah. It was written by a politician, uh-huh. or he certainly had a lot to do with it. And it was showing <laughs> you the interaction between politicians and the bureaucrats. And basically, yeah, it was just saying, yeah, the bureaucrats, they're not voted in. doesn't matter what the government, it doesn't matter which MP it is. It's the same mm-hmm. bureaucrats. And basically, yeah, it's them. It's steering everything the politicians are doing. Well, I mean, and that goes from the World Health Organization, the UN, on down to your states, your federal, your local. Uh, it, it goes pretty much the same way. Whenever someone decides they're going to commission a study, an impact study, uh you can bet the person doing that is unelected and will be unaccountable for any sort of unintended consequences that arise from their stupidity. I mean, policy. Well, yes. See the TPD debacle over here. Mm-hmm. So in the UK, the junior health minister, because we have a health minister and a substitute, as it were, a junior one. An heir and a spare. That's what was, you guys do over there. Well, yeah, was was due to keep an eye on the TPD and interact with the EU over it. Mm-hmm. Now, the bureau- bureaucratic advisor that was used for those negotiations, we imported specially from Australia. It's a guy <laughs> called Mr. Black, who'd worked on all their anti-smoking stuff. So not only did they, was it a bureaucrat keeping an eye on all the paperwork, it was a guy that was a specialist in making sure stuff got banned. So you imported an, you, you imported an Australian anti? You yep. shipped them Chapman! Well, no, for it's, God's it's, sake. It's, it's, it's somebody that worked with Chapman. But yeah, of it was course A it guy is. called Black. Um, Luckily, I think he's been booted out again, so, yeah. You know, yeah, but I'm sure he got a cushy job somewhere else doing oh, something yeah. stupid to someone else. Well, because he's a bureaucrat, that's what they do. Exactly, yeah. that's what they do. They're not all bad, though. I mean, technically, Clive Bates is a bureaucrat, that's what he did um, well, when he was in government. 
but uh, he, he's he's one of the good ones. But well, there are very you few. Know, he he's good for our purposes. Put it that way. He's he's suited for purpose. And I'm not make I'm not casting any aspersions. I'm just saying there are people who are our allies who in every other ideological sense, Jeannie, you know exactly what I'm talking about, in no way, shape, or form match any of our values. And uh-huh. yet in one way they do. And that yeah. makes them useful. And on every other way, shape, or form that they talk about banning or changing something, they're absolutely useless to us. But when they are vocal in their support for vaping, that's a good thing. But there, and and so many people don't bother to, this person supports us. He wrote this really great blog. You should go look at it. Most people will never look at that person's background. Yeah. And before you get all excited that someone is supporting vaping, you should look at what else they don't support. I'm just saying that because a yep. lot of people are very anti. And if you think you can trust them, you're wrong. Like uh, an example would be Professor Nutt. Not kidding, that's his name. In the UK, who's quite pro e-cigarette, but wants to ban everything to do with alcohol. Well, Jen and I discovered that somebody that um, is really big into um, e-cig research and such, um, not is like a big anti-gun fanatic, and that's that. And of itself, and I'm sorry, and anybody can call me narrow-minded and asshole all you want. If if I will not support anyone, anyone that for any reason supports banning of all private citizen ownership of firearms. I can't do it. I just can't do it. With me, it's not just that. I, I looked at all of this person's background. They're anti-alcohol. They're pro-drug war. They're pro-tobacco harm reduction. But they're anti-tobacco, anti-drinking, anti-fast food, anti-anti-anti-anti-anti-everything. And it just makes me sick. I don't understand. how. Who wants to live their fucking life like that? And why do you want to force it on other people? I I just okay. <laughs> There's a lot of crazy around. There is. I was just, really. I was I was absolutely floored, you know, because you think that somebody that does that kind of advocacy and stuff, well, not advocacy, that kind of research and things, are out to, you know, leave options out there for people when and if they choose. Well, no, I it to read it, it's more like. They want to force people into this step only as the in-between step into forcing them to stop altogether. And that that bugs me. That really bothers me. What bothers me is we don't look at the people who support us because what, what if tomorrow 
and I'm not saying this is a reality, but what if tomorrow they actually did find out that, say, if you were a volume vapor, and I'm not picking on you, I'm just using you as an example, and you were vaping a lot of VG at a certain temperature, it created something called, oh, free formaldehyde, which I don't even think is a real thing. It, it might be, and then later I'll have to apologize for talking about this, but I don't think it's a real substance. But let's say that happened. That person who's been so vocal in supporting you could turn against you just like that. And they're gone. You need to look at the backgrounds of the people that claim to support you. And that that's... Okay, I got off track enough. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, yes, it's a, this, this just bordered on, and you you brought up bloggers, and you know I'm on rampage <laughs> over a blogger. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna just now. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, you need you need to keep an eye on even your friends. Is yeah. a message because yeah, yeah, they could turn on you yeah. at the drop of a hat if they're if they're. Uh, predilections come to the fore yeah yeah do do not do not trust people you don't know i don't trust anybody i i trust carl phillips i do i trust carl i trust brad rodu i would trust either of them with my life and that that's what i can say from knowing them and i'm sure you feel the same uh, about dave dorn and some of the advocates you've got in the yeah, EU. Yeah. You Some know what I mean? You know, know them. You, yeah. You've done research. You've done due diligence. You know everything about them and you know you can trust them. Yeah. You know? Um, that's very different from this blind sort of sheep-like following I see and it scares me. Yeah. Okay. I'm off my soapbox. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. This is an off now update. NSA's water power supply under threat in state legislatures. <laughs> exactly. With federal reform elusive, state lawmakers and activists resume backup plans to shut down mass surveillance. Anti-surveillance lawmakers believe the National Security Agency has an Achilles heel, its reliance on public utilities. The NSA's 1.5 billion Utah data center requires millions of gallons of water a month to cool its computer systems. Congress failed to agree last year on a measure that would reform the practice of mass governmental surveillance, but privacy-minded state legislators have a backup plan for shutting down alleged violations of their constituents' constitutional rights. In eight states, legislators are pushing bills that they hope will either boot national security agency facilities or ban the agency from setting up shop. The bills would prohibit state and local governments from offering material support to the agency, including use of public utilities that can carry water and electricity. Two of the bills would criminalize official cooperation with the NSA, and several seek to squeeze contractors out of work with the Electronic Spy Agency. The state-level push began months after whistleblower Edward Snowden revealed in June 2013 the NSA's bulk collection collection of U.S. phone records and internet mining programs. 
Last year, Bills in Utah, home of the NSA's massive Utah Data Center and Maryland, host of the agency's Fort Meade headquarters, sought to shut down these operations, winning broad media coverage. The Utah bill remains active, and its sponsor, Republican State Representative Mark Roberts, is cautiously optimistic about its chances, particularly after a seemingly receptive committee hearing in November. Roberts says colleagues he's spoken with have concerns with the NSA programs and its violations of the Fourth Amendment. But, he says, when it comes down to a big vote on it like this, I'm not sure what they will do. Roberts is waiting to learn which legislative committee this year will hear his bill, which seeks to shut off the water supply to the NSA's vast Utah data center that's currently provided through a sweetheart deal with the city of Bluffdale. Legislators in Alaska, Indiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Oklahoma, South Carolina, and Washington, meanwhile, introduced similar bills this month, many called Fourth Amendment Protection Acts, based on model legislation from the Off Now Coalition. More are likely to be introduced as the legislative season unfolds. The bills generally say states and their political subdivisions cannot supply material support to federal agencies that collect citizens' metadata without individualized warrants, and they intend to bar NSA-derived evidence from state courts and block the agency from research partnerships with state schools. Now, that's creepy. I didn't know about that. Surprisingly, I don't know why I would be shocked by it. In Washington, the proposed bill goes further. It would force companies to choose between NSA and state contracts. And if state contractors or officials do provide material support, participation, or assistance in any form to the NSA, they would be guilty of a misdemeanor punishable by a fine of up to $5,000 and one year behind bars. The bill's sponsor, Republican State Representative David Taylor, has an NSA facility within his district on the U.S. Army's Yakima Training Center. The facility, however, is reportedly slated for closure and may be immunized by its independence from state and local utilities. But Taylor, whose seven co-sponsors include six Republicans and one Democrat, says he's heard there are other, smaller NSA facilities that would be affected. Taylor says he fears the lack of a quick death knell to exposed NSA programs has embroiled local state and federal law enforcement agencies to move forward at a more rapid pace to collect data and communications without warrants. We're saying, no, it's inappropriate. We have a Fourth Amendment to the Constitution, he says, and if you violate that, there's going to be civil penalties and jail time. Taylor is working with larger bipartisan coalitions to require warrants for the use of ovary. about to launch stingray there you go (laughs) to require warrants for use of stingray cell phone tracking devices and limit the use of drones the oklahoma and mississippi bills like the washington version would make companies who work with the nsa forever ineligible to work with the state and local governments officials who knowingly violate the law shall be deemed to have resigned all three bills propose 
Violators of the Oklahoma legislation would be guilty of a misdemeanor fine that carries up to $1,000 fine and one year in jail. The Mississippi bill, which would not establish criminal penalties, is sponsored by State Senator Chris McDaniel, a popular conservative leader who lost a tight Republican primary for U.S. Senate last year. In Maryland, where the NSA recently negotiated a water deal with the county government, eight Republicans introduced a bill in February 2014 threatening to darken and dry the agency's headquarters. No similar bill has yet been introduced this year, and it's unclear if one is coming. Five co-sponsors of the now-dead bill, including the lower chamber's minority leader, bailed before it was considered in committee. The two leaders of the Maryland push lost primary races last year, and the remaining co-sponsor wasn't re-elected. Former Maryland Delegate Michael Smeagol, um, former Maryland, yeah, that's got to be Delegate, Michael Smeagol, the bill's lead sponsor, says his flip-flopping co-sponsors lacked enough intestinal fortitude after pushback from federal lawmakers. One learned the NSA was in his district, he recalls. Smeagol doesn't believe Maryland lawmakers will reintroduce the bill, and he doesn't mince words about his now former colleagues. I think most are busy deciding whether to put a bill, put in a bill establishing a state-eating utensil or how to get around the First Amendment so as to protect elected officials from being called eunuchs, he says. Mike Marney, executive director of the Off Now Coalition, however, is upbeat about the broader effort. He says, we are in a much stronger position this year, and I'll be shocked if we don't see at least one of these measures passed. Marnie says lawmakers now have a better grasp on the strategy, and some have tweaked their bills to win broader support. So, I thought yeah. that was that's fairly upbeat for me. They're getting support because, yeah, all the representatives have realized they're being spied on, too. Mm. <laughs> well, the only one okay with it is Marco Rubio. Yeah. But, the yeah, yeah as far <laughs> as the NSA's data center is concerned, as I've said before, serves them right for building it on 70s cooling technology. There are better uh, cooling alternatives available. They just Sh- cost Don't more. be saying that shit, because next thing you know, they'll be sneaking that fucking shit into the budget, too. Oh, no, no we need... It, 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 yeah, they'd have to completely rebuild the complex, and you'd spot well, them doing it. The United States government has been known to do even stupider shit than that, Mary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think you'd notice them uh, digging up 20 square miles around the, around the area to put well, in uh, heat exchangers. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. Um... This is kind of upbeat, too. Judge orders NYPD to release records on X-ray vans. The NYPD has a secretive program that uses unmarked vans with X-ray machines. Do you realize I'm saying this stuff, and this is stuff people said five, seven years ago, and we all thought they were out of their fucking minds? Yeah, it's been in films, and people were like, yeah, that's not realistic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uses unmarked vans with x-ray machines designed to detect bombs. ProPublica tried to find more about it, but the NYPD refused to answer for three years. A state judge has ordered the New York City Police Department to release records on a secretive program that uses unmarked vans equipped with x-ray machines to detect bombs. The rule follows a nearly three-year-long battle by ProPublica, 
I highly recommend ProPublica for well-sourced news, by the way, which had requested the police reports, training materials, contracts, and any health and safety tests on the vans under the state's Freedom of Information Law. ProPublica filed the request as part of its information investigation into the proliferation of security equipment, including airport body scanners that expose people to ionizing radiation, which can mutate DNA and increase the risk of cancer. Richard D'Addario, then NYPD's Deputy Chief Director of Counterterrorism. What? The NYPD has a Chief Director, Chief Deputy Chief Commissioner of Counterterrorism? I have told... Hmm? I'm not, I'm not really surprised. I'm just wondering why. Okay. Told the court in 2013 that releasing the documents would hamper the department's ability to conduct operations and endanger the lives of New Yorkers. Because you don't need to be told when you're being sweeped with x-rays. Screw you. Disclosing them, he said, would permit those seeking to evade detection to conform their conduct to the times, places, and methods that avoid NYPD presence and are thus most likely to yield a successful attack. But Supreme Court Judge Doris Ling Cohen called the NYPD's argument mere speculation and patently insufficient to outweigh the public's right to know. We still have a right to know? Damn. While this court is cognizant and sensitive to the concerns about terrorism being located less than a mile from the site where the planes flew into the Twin Towers and having seen firsthand the effects of terrorist destruction, nonetheless, the hallmark of our great nation is that it is a democracy. No, it's not. It's a republic with a transparent government. No, it's not. (laughs) She wrote in her decision last month. Nick Paluki. A spokesman for the city's law department said Thursday that the NYPD would appeal because disclosing the sensitive information would compromise public safety. The x-ray vans at issue are essentially a version of the older airport body scanners mounted on a truck. Yeah, and if these fuckers drive by me? Yeah. How about that? As far as I'm concerned, they represent a threat to public safety. They do. Ionizing radiation is a threat, no matter how you look at it. Only three years ago, airline passengers routinely went through x-ray machines known as backscatters at major airports such as Los Angeles International, New York's John F. Kennedy, and Chicago's O'Hare. But citing privacy concerns, the TSA removed body scanners that emit x-rays and replaced them with machines that use technology that is considered less invasive and safer but x-ray vans continue to be used by law enforcement agencies. They were developed shortly after the 9-11 incident um, by American Science and Engineering Incorporated in Balearica, Mass., and they're deployed by the U.S. military in Iraq and Afghanistan to sweep the area for roadside and car bombs because they typically look like blank white panel trucks. Soldiers in Iraq nicknamed them White Devils. U.S. Customs and Border Protection recently began using them at border crossings, ports, border patrol checkpoints, and special events such as the Super Bowl. 
Very little has ever been reported about the NYPD's use of x-ray vans. In fact, until ProPublica's lawsuit, the police department had never said anything publicly about them, other than to confirm their existence. The most extensive reference to the vans came in a book written by two ABC News reporters who chronicled a year inside the agency's bomb squad. Describing the security around the 2004 Republican convention in New York, they wrote that every vehicle entering the street in front of the convention hotel was ordered to drive between two white vans, which x-rayed each vehicle for explosives. While the NYPD has refused to release information about its use of the vans, even how many it has, how much they cost, or how it ensures the safety of the public, other government agencies have not been so secretive. For example, Customs provided ProPublica with more than 150 pages of records under the Federal Freedom of Information Law three months after a reporter filed an identical request with them in 2012. Moreover, multiple researchers have published studies revealing security flaws in the X-ray technology, in one case after buying a backscatter machine on eBay. The information contained in the records requested from the NYPD will allow the public to assess the potential health, cost, and privacy concerns raised by the NYPD's use of this vehicle, ProPublica told the court. ProPublica is represented in the case by Yale Law School's Media Freedom and Information Access Clinic and David Schultz of Levine, Sullivan, Koch, and Schultz. The custom documents and technical specifications which are on the manufacturer's website, show that the vans emit less than 10 micrograms of radiation per scan. That's about twice as much as the old X-ray airport body scanners. But it's extremely low exposure compared to medical X-rays and well within industry standards for acceptable exposure. The National Academy of Sciences is expected to release a report this month on radiation exposures from the TSA's old scanners. Although those machines also met industry standards, a number of prominent scientists said the TSA had failed to follow the health and safety principle to keep radiation doses as low as reasonably achievable. The TSA had the ability to use a different scanner that could find plastic explosive in weapons but did not use x-rays. It's not that the radiation from these machines is very high, says Peter Rez, an Arizona State University physicist in 2012. It's the does the benefit outweigh the risk. The long-term health risks of low levels of radiation are unknown, but the National Academy has taken the position that the danger comes from cumulative exposure and even trivial amounts raise the risk of cancer. The X-ray vans, which reportedly cost between $729,000 and $825,000 each, are designed to find organic materials such as drugs and explosives. The rays penetrate the metal in the car or concrete in a building and scatter back to a detector, producing an image of what's inside. The van can scan while driving alongside a row of shipping containers or while parked cars pass by. Customs agencies around the world have used them to fight drug and human smuggling. But most Federal Drug Administration regulations for medical x-rays do not apply to security equipment, leaving the decision of when and how to use the scanners up to law enforcement agencies such as the NYPD. The NYPD's policies 
are of particular interest because many agencies have adopted strict policies to address potential harm from backscatter x-ray scans. When Customs began using the vans extensively in 2010, the agency prohibited their use on occupied vehicles and required people get out of the vehicles before they were x-rayed. But because the NYPD has refused to release the department's policies and procedures, it's unclear how widely the vans are being used, if at all, whether they're being used to scan people, or even if police are deploying them for routine patrols on busy city streets. For example... The NYPD asserted in court records that it did not have any records detailing its policies for privacy protections. How long images from the x-ray vans could be kept, or who in the NYPD could view the images. This conflicted with a court affidavit from D'Addario, the counterterrorism chief, who discussed such documents and why they shouldn't be disclosed. Judge Lynn Cohen ordered the NYPD to pay ProPublica's attorney fees and explain in writing what effort they made to search for documents responsive to the request. ProPublica's President Richard Toffel said he was gratified that the state Supreme Court had so clearly rejected the police department's efforts to stonewall this important request for information that could affect the public's health and has certainly cost taxpayers a lot of money. As the court order makes clear, vague and wholly conciliatory allusions to possible terrorist threats do not and should not create exceptions to our laws. On government transparency, he said, we are sorry to learn that the NYPD has decided to waste more citizen time and taxpayer money by appealing this ruling. So, yeah. Well, for a start, where shall I go? Oh, I know. (laughs) The exposure, right? Okay. They got some information on the amount of radiation it produces, and it's twice what the body scanners used to use. Yeah, that'll be the minimum setting. That's when they're scanning something that's right next to the van and probably a car, thin metal. If they're scanning a packing container, they're going to have to turn the power up because the radiation won't penetrate thicker metal unless you turn the power up. And how well trained are the guys operating these things? Uh, it takes oh. a few years to qualify as a radiographer, as far as I'm aware. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, but these don't—they don't have to comply with all those rules and regulations. Yeah, they already said that. Yep. Um, so yeah, God knows what power levels these things are being used at, because yeah. um, the distance from the van—it's a geometric uh, reduction in the quality of the image you'll get. So the further something goes away. You have to geometrically increase the power. Yeah, it's uh, it's not so much disturbing that they use it; it's disturbing that they won't tell you how they use it. Well, and for somebody who's undergoing uh, specific treatments in hospital, yeah. you need to know exactly how much exposure you're getting. Exactly. Exactly. There's a lot of things that low-dose radiation exposure in a cumulative manner. Well, that was the other it's, bit. It's, the, yeah. the scientist who said they didn't really know about low-level uh, exposure, and that's not true. There's been lots of research on that. That's back to Los Alamos again, by the way. They know mm-hmm. exactly what happens to people with different uh, amounts of exposure, because they 
did it by accident to people um, when they're developing nuclear weapons. Right. So, yeah. Well, you a know, lot of lies in there. I... I'd suggest if you live in New York, you might want to start buying those radiation safety badges <laughs> while you're walking about. And it probably wouldn't be a bad idea. And and this is going to sound horrible, but, I mean, you don't know how much you're exposed or when you're exposed, if it's at multiple times. I mean, these things look really innocuous. They're just a white van. And who the hell is suspicious of a white van unless you've got, like, a child? You know what I mean? An unmarked van. Who's suspicious of that? Do you know the, the security things when you walk into a storage van? Yeah. Okay. Do you know that I have to turn my robotics off before I get within five feet of them? I believe it. Uh, you're at the wrong frequency for them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah one of my e-cigs sets off the shop alarms. <laughs> well, a fuck set the, the alarm off very exacts me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have sh- I have shoes that set off the alarms, but um, yeah. No. I care less about setting the alarms off. It's it's the shock. Yeah. Yeah. It's the shock that I get that bothers me. You know, yeah. but I mean, yeah, it's yeah. It's what I was going to say is I had a cousin and she worked actually dismantling nuclear weapons. Oh, that was her job. Okay. Uh if you want to talk about long-term cumulative exposure to ionizing radiation, I can tell you a little bit about that. My cousin is the only member of my family to have ever had leukemia and the only person I've ever known to die from leukemia. And it, it's pretty awful. Yeah, she's basically getting uh, microwaved at work every day. Yeah, that's just one thing that can happen from long-term tiny exposures that happen every single day. That's what I mean, they're lying when they say they don't know the health consequences. They do know the health consequences. No, that's my niece who stayed back in school three times. My cousin is a completely different person. But no, no, my cousin used to dismantle nuclear weapons when we signed all of those nuclear weapon reduction treaties. Yeah. Um, she, she was a smart lady. Yeah. Just, they didn't she died. She didn't to cover herself with. Yeah. No. And that will kill you. Yeah, I mean, Just, there's... Um, there's a beach in Scotland where uh, nobody's allowed to walk on the beach because after <laughs> World War Two, they buried a load of old um, aircraft equipment, specifically dials from aircraft, oh, no. uh, in a big pit. So, of course, it was all the old glow-in-the-dark radium. Right, radium. Now nobody's allowed on the beach. Well, there was... When steampunk first came into fashion here, right... Um, you know, how it's all gears and clockworks and old glowy and the dark kind of stuff. Gears and, yeah. There were girls who used to make that jewelry from old watches until they found out, you know, exactly what they were exposing. Yeah. 
yeah, it, it's not really good for you at all. There was a know? teenager about 20 years ago in California who mm-hmm. uh, got taken away by the FBI uh, <laughs> because he'd been collecting old watches. And it turned out what he'd done was he'd built his own little miniature nuclear pile in his garden shed. Oh, God. It was only when he started ordering other materials for it that he started showing up on their lists. Then when they went to the house, yeah, he'd been, he'd spent like five years collecting all these glow-in-the-dark dials and scraping the radium off them and making a big pile of nuclear material. You know, it, um, it's it's pretty scary. And the, not only doesn't your government give a shit, apparently the police department in New York City doesn't give a shit either. They yeah, don't care who they hurt. Around microwaving people. Yeah. Yeah. They don't care who they hurt. Um, that's a problem. It's not a little problem. And it's something you have to decide if you can accept. When they say you can't have absolute safety and absolute security and absolute privacy, is this what they meant? Well, you can't have an absolute optimum form of health either. You know, when they talk about we just don't know, when they talk about that with vaping, that is bullshit. When they talk about it with backscatter x-rays, that's also bullshit. The only difference is vaping isn't really hurting anyone. Backscatter x-rays, however, are going to cause a lot of, I think we're going to see an uptick in cancers. If this is as widespread as this article makes it sound like it is. Yeah, yeah. how many heads does the average person in New York have? Just check. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, but then you have all the rich people sitting around going, well, they're only using them in those neighborhoods. Yeah. So it's fine. Uh, no. No. It's not. You still need someone to cook your food. You still need someone to make and deliver your pizza. You still need someone to shovel Crap! You still need someone to take care of your horses. In and cleaning your house and spreading yeah. radiation around the place at the same time. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you don't think of these things, which is ridiculous. Okay. Well, on a related, well, sort of related matter, have you seen the diagram of the coffee shop where uh, the the Russian spy got irradiated? No. They. they I saw a diagram of it. It was on the news the other day. And okay. literally, they could trace the hot spots of where the polonium was. Oh, so God. literally, it's like really intense at the table he was sitting at. And then <laughs> sort of bands slowly going out from the table of oh, the wow. different exposures to the radiation. God. They basically irradiated the whole coffee shop. <laughs> to get one guy. Yep. Yeah. that That's how governments do things. Let's just kill. Let's just kill them silently. Okay. Uh, I said we were going to talk about something called Leviathan. We are. Canada casts global surveillance dragnet over file downloads. Canada's leading surveillance agency is monitoring millions of internet users' file downloads in a dragnet search to identify extremists, according to top secret documents. 
this covert operation revealed Wednesday by CBC News in collaboration with The Intercept taps into internet cables and analyzes records of up to 15 million downloads daily from popular websites commonly used to share videos, photographs, music, and other files. The revelations about the spying initiative, codenamed Leviathan, are the first from the trove of files provided by the National Security Agency whistleblower Edward Snowden to show that the Canadian government has launched its own globe-spanning internet mass surveillance system. According to the documents, the Leviathan program can monitor downloads in several countries across Europe, the Middle East, North Africa, and North America. It is led by the Communication Security Establishment, or CSE, Canada's equivalent of the NSA. The Canadian agency was formerly known as CSEC until a recent name change. The latest disclosure sheds new light on Canada's broad existing surveillance capacities at a time when the country's government is pushing for a further expansion of security powers following attacks in Ottawa and Quebec last year. Ron Debert, director of University of Toronto-based internet security think tank Citizen Lab, said Leviathan illustrates the giant x-ray machine all over our digital lives. Every single thing that you do, in this case uploading, downloading files to these sites, that act, at, act is being archived, collected, and analyzed, Dibert said, after reviewing documents about the online spying operation for CBC News. David Christopher, a spokesman for Vancouver-based open internet advocacy group Open Media CA, said the surveillance showed robust action was needed to rein in the Canadian agency operations. These revelations make clear that CSE engages in large-scale warrantless surveillance of our private online activities, despite repeated government assurances to the contrary, Christopher told The Intercept. The obstinable aim of the surveillance is to sift through vast amounts of data to identify people uploading or downloading content that could be connected to terrorism, such as bomb-making guides and hostage videos. In the process, however, CSE combs through huge volumes of data showing uploads and downloads initiated by Internet users not suspected of any wrongdoing. In a top-secret PowerPoint presentation, Dated from mid-2012, an analyst from the agency jokes about how, while hunting for extremists, the Leviathan system gets clogged with information on innocuous downloads of the musical TV series Glee. CSE finds some 350 interesting downloads each month. The presentation notes a number that amounts to less than 0 point zero 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 one percent of the total collected data. The agency stores details about downloads and uploads from 102 different popular file sharing websites, according to the 2012 document, which described the collected records um, as file, free file, upload, or FFU events. Only three of the websites are named. RapidShare, SpendSpace, send, send and the now-defunct Mega Upload. Uh, 
Send Space said in a statement that no organization has the ability slash permission to trawl slash search Send Space for data, adding that its policy is not to disclose user identities unless legally compelled. Representatives from RapidShare and Mega Upload had not responded to a request for comment at the time of publication. Leviathan does not rely on any cooperation from any of the file-sharing companies. A separate secret CSE operation codenamed Atomic Banjo obtains the data directly from the internet cables that it is tapped into, and the agency then sifts out the unique IP addresses of each computer that downloads files from the targeted website. The IP addresses are valuable pieces of information to CSE analysts, helping to identify peoples whose downloads have been flagged as suspicious. The analysts use the IP address as a kind of search term, entering them into other surveillance databases that they have access to, such as the vast repositories of intercepted Internet data shared with the Canadian agency by the NSA and its British counterpart, Government Communications Headquarters. If successful, the searches will return a list of results showing other websites visited by the people downloading files, in some cases revealing associations with Facebook or Google accounts. In turn, these accounts may reveal the names and locations of individual downloaders opening the door for further surveillance of their activities. Since the secret 2012 presentation about Leviathan was authored, both RapidShare and SendSpace have toughened security by encrypting users' connections to their websites, which may have thwarted CSE's ability to target them for surveillance. But many other popular file-sharing sites have still not adopted encryption, meaning they remain, remain vulnerable to snooping. Sorry, hang on. As part... Oh, as, as of mid-2012, CSE was maintaining a list of 2,200 particular download links that it regarded as connected to suspicions, suspicious documents of interest. Anyone clicking on those links could have found themselves subject to extra security from the spies. While Leviathan is purportedly, purportedly identifying potential terror threats, Canadian legal experts consulted by CBC News were concerned by the broad scope of the operation. The specific uses that they talk about in this counterterrorism context may not be a problem, but it's what else they can do, said Tamir Israel, a lawyer with the University of Ottawa's Canadian Internet Policy and Public Interest Clinic. Picking which downloads to monitor is essentially completely at the discretion of CSE, Israel added. The file-sharing surveillance also raises questions about the number of Canadians whose downloading habits could have been swept up as part of Leviathan's dragnet. By law, CSE isn't allowed to target Canadians. In the Leviathan presentation, however, two Canadian IP addresses that trace back to a web server in Montreal appear on a list of suspicious downloads found across the world. The same list includes downloads that CSE monitored in closely allied countries, including the United Kingdom, United States, Spain, Brazil, Germany, and Portugal. It's unclear from the documents whether Leviathan has ever prevented any terrorist attacks. The agency cites only two successes of the program in the 2012 presentation. The discovery of a hostage video through a previously unknown target and an uploaded document that contained the hostage strategy of a terrorist organization. 
The hostage in the discovered video was ultimately killed, according to public reports. A CSE spokesman told The Intercept and CBC News in a statement, CSE is legally authorized to collect and analyze metadata, including parts of from the Internet regularly used by terrorists. Some of CSE's metadata analyst activities are designed to identify foreign terrorists who use the Internet to conduct activities that threaten the security of Canada and Canadian citizens. CSE does not direct its activities at Canadians or anyone in Canada, and in accordance with our legislation, has a range of measures in place to protect the privacy of Canadians. Incidentally encountered in the course of these foreign intelligence operations. The spokesman declined to comment on whether Leviathan remained active. I would not provide examples of useful intelligence gleaned from the spying or explain how long data swept up under the operation is retained. Not sure what to say about that. The the whole foreign intelligence thing kind of bothers me to begin with, but that's okay. Well, yeah, it's basically, yep, uh, the internet. Every government is trying to Mm-hmm. Look at everything. Yeah. We're we're violating freedoms, but that's okay. They're not the freedoms of our citizens, so that's okay. Yep. Well, everything's okay when the government does it. Just ask them. Yeah. It's okay when they lie. It's it's okay when they outright make false statements and lie to you. You can't do that to them, but it's okay for them to do it to you. The bit that got me though, you you can tell it's Canada. It's a in some ways, it's a more naive country that they actually managed to hit a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> right? Snowden, most of Snowden's stuff is basically written documents. But yeah, for Canada, no, they had a PowerPoint presentation <laughs> for the secret spy operation. Yeah. Which is kind of funny, you know, because yeah. you, you definitely don't think of that happening. But it, I guess it does. And... That's that's what Leviathan is, yeah. by the way, if, if you're so wondering. So it's, it's not the god from, like, the uh, Hellraiser films? Uh, not, well, not so much. Uh, it's not that, although Leviathan is my favorite term for describing my own federal government. So, All right. so I felt compelled to talk about it, I guess. Leviathan, the chaos god, is your government. That's fair enough. I think it's right. I think it's right. It's it's big and bloated and will drag us all down. It sounds like the chaos god, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. When's Pinhead going to show up? Oh, God, I have no idea. But, you know, <laughs> I, I just kind of hope he, he shows up to Marco Rubio first. <laughs> <laughs> um, and th- this is a good one. So I think we'll end with the good one. Because that last one was so depressing. Okay. EFF wins battle over secret legal opinions on government spying. Department of Justice to release analysts of law enforcement and intelligence agency access to census records. The Electronic Frontier Foundation has won its four-year Freedom of Information Act lawsuit over secret legal interpretations of a controversial section of the Patriot Act including legal analysis of law enforcement and intelligent agency access to census records. 
the U.S. Department of Justice today filed a motion to dismiss its appeal of a ruling over legal opinions about Section 215 of the Patriot Act. The the controversial provision of a law relied on by the NSA to collect the call records of millions of Americans. As a result of the dismissal, the Justice Department will be forced to release a previously undisclosed opinion from the Office of Legal Counsel concerning access by law enforcement and intelligence agencies to census data under Section 215. The public trusts that information disclosed for the census won't wind up in the hands of a law enforcement or intelligence agency, Staff Attorney Mark Rumvold said. The public has a right to know what the Office of Legal Counsel's conclusions were on this topic, and we're happy to have vindicated that important right. In October 2011, the 10th anniversary of the signing of the U.S. Patriot Act, EFF sued the Justice Department to gain access to all secret interpretations of Section 215. At earlier stages in the litigation, the Justice Department had refused to publicly disclose even the number of documents that were at issue in the case, claiming the information was classified. In June 2013, The lawsuit took a dramatic term after The Guardian published an order from the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court authorizing the bulk collection of call record data of Verizon customers. That disclosure helped EFF secure the release of hundreds of pages of legal opinions, including multiple opinions of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, exorating the NSA for disregarding the court's orders. However, the Justice Department continued to fight for secrecy for the legal opinion over access to census data under Section 215. Last August, a federal district court ordered the government to disclose the OLC opinion. The Justice Department has made a wise decision in disseminating the appeal, Remold said. We filed this lawsuit nearly four years ago to inform the public about the way the government was using Section 215. We're well overdue to have a fully informed public debate about this provision of the law, and hopefully the disclosure of this opinion will help remove the public help move the public debate forward. Although the motion for dismissal was filed today, the government has not provided EFF with the opinion. After receiving the document, EFF will also make it freely available through its own website. So, I guess yay. Sad when you have a system in place to keep you informed over what the government is doing, and the government acts like a petulant child, saying, "No, you can't have my ball." Well, and I have to. I have to also say that, yeah, I'm so glad the Guardian still exists as a, a newspaper because, yeah, it seems to come up with so much of this uh, information. For- you know, yeah, the Guardian does actually a really good job. A lot of my other sources that I use repeatedly, ProPublica, Glenn Greenwald's The Intercept, a lot of their stuff checks out as close to being 99% word-for-word correct as anything I will ever read. I mean, it's that good. And that's... I don't have respect for many journalists. I don't have respect for many people who write for newspapers. When I share something on here, I try to find the most right piece to share with you. When I say right, I mean the piece that checks out most. Yeah. Nothing will ever be 100%. 
but those three sources are as close to 100% as I've ever seen, and I am completely impressed with their work. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, everyone knows, yeah, The Guardian was one of the major people that broke the Snowden story, so, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and, yeah, they had loads of their computers stolen by the government. Oh, I mean, I mean, uh, legally seized. Well, they did, but I think the thing that threw me was when my government forced your government to go into the Guardian offices and make them destroy their own computers. Yeah. Watching the video of that just blew my mind. And and you could when, see the guys the rep- just standing there watching them. Yeah, when the, when the reporters who knew this about the story were like, this stuff isn't in here, you morons. Mm-hmm. They needed to have their symbolic victory, which I still yeah. don't understand because the information was already out there. But. Yeah, they'd already backed it up and spread it all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Spies are nuts. Well, no, it's not the spies exactly that are nuts. It's the people running the spies that are nuts. I guess that's right. And I think... I think the darkness only goes away as you shine the light on it. We need a bigger light. We, we shine a light on it every Monday. These other organizations do it every time they write something. They put themselves in jeopardy by doing it. So let's keep shining the light in the dark places. Yeah. Eventually the roaches will have nowhere else to go. And I think that's it for tonight. Advert. Yep, advert. No problem. Nido. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. Amoseek.com. Good night, everyone. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.